Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and even in some cases, offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night. Monsters lurking under your bed or deep in the forest. That unknown creature lurking just out of sight. And frighteningly imagined creatures, ghosts, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, we're going to switch gears from all the aliens to some good old-fashioned murder, mayhem, and conspiracy. So, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, my darlings, is always yours, so choose your poison accordingly. Alright, now for the game part. How about every time I say monster, that will be a single shot. And every time I say Japan, that's going to be a double shot. Alright, now that we've got the business end out of the way, we can jump head first into today's Dark Enigma. So pull yourselves in close, my darlings, as we dive deep into the mysterious case of the monster with 21 faces. Oh, yes. As most of you know already, I'm a writer and a storyteller. I know what it takes for a truly good story. You need a compelling character, the typical good guy. But what good is any story without its villain? And what sort of villain is scarier than a supervillain who cannot be caught? In the 1980s, over a period of 17 months, Japan was held in the grip of terror by just such a powerful criminal force. The case would turn the country on its head, push police to their very limits, dispel the notion that Japan was a completely safe place, and all these many years later, remains just as unsolved and mysterious as it has ever been. This is the story of the notorious monster with 21 faces, an organization led by an enigmatic figure who proved to be just as untouchable and elusive as any supervillain can be, which led the police on an unprecedented manhunt and whirlwind investigation for a crime they would never get to the bottom of and which has gone on to become one of the most puzzling unsolved crimes in Japanese history. The reign of terror began at 9 p.m. on March 18, 1984, when two masked intruders armed with a pistol and a rifle broke into the home of Katsushia Izaki, who was at the time the CEO of the enormous Osaka-based Glika Candy Company. After having gained the key to his residence by stealing it from his own mother and cutting the phone lines, tying up Isaki's wife and daughter, the mysterious kidnappers whisked the CEO away to a 
secluded warehouse from where ransom demands were made to the company director for 1 billion yen, or $9.3 million at the time, and 100 kilograms, roughly 220 pounds, of gold bouillon. Booyah, right? (laughs) Unfortunately for the kidnappers, three days later before the ransom could be paid, or it could even be discerned whether the company would be willing to pay it at all, Izaki managed to break free and escape. The crime was heavily covered in the news, partly due to the high-profile victim and partly due to the fact that at the time, such a violent home intrusion kidnapping was a crime virtually unheard of in Japan, and it shocked a lot of people. Unfortunately, the criminals were not done by a long shot. For the police's part, there were no leads, no clues, no suspects, and no clear motive other than money and no one had any idea of who was just behind this crime. A few weeks later, on April 10, 1984, several cars in the Glico Company headquarters parking lot were mysteriously set ablaze by unknown arsonists, which ended up in quite a lot of damage to the surrounding area as well. Not long after that, on May 10, 1984, a threatening letter was found taped to a bottle of hydrochloric acid, which was signed, The Monster with 21 Faces, which has also variously been translated as The Phantom with 21 Faces, or The Mystery Man with 21 Faces. I don't know, bunch of people with 21 Faces, right? which was a reference to the villain of a series of popular detective novels by Itogawa Rampo. The letter claimed that they had laced glico candies with potassium cyanide soda, with a string of letters following that threatened the poisoned candies would be released onto store shelves. This subsequently sparked a mass panic and prompted a massive product recall which cost the company an estimated $21 million as well as prompting the layoff of around 450 part-time workers even though no such deadly counties were found. Police were still fumbling around trying to find any evidence of who was responsible but they were coming up totally empty-handed and I say fumbling I don't think the police were fumbling. I think they were really, really trying very hard. There just wasn't anything to be found. Fumbling just seemed like a good word at the time. Anyways. Additionally, there was no indication as to why the person or persons responsible had directed their vehemence squarely at Glico. The only evidence police were able to acquire was one piece of blurry security footage that seemed to show an unidentified man wearing a Yomiuri Giants baseball cap. For those of you in the know, that's a very popular Japanese professional baseball team. And was placing presumably poisoned glico chocolates on store shelves in the panic and unease that they were causing, and began sending anonymous letters to torment the police and media. One letter to police, written in a thick Osaka accent, even teased them by outlining their whole method of entering the factory, and it read... And of course, this is a translation, so don't make fun of it, but this is what it said. And I quote, Dear dumb police officers, don't tell a lie. All crimes begin with a lie, as we say in Japan. Don't you know that? Why don't you keep it to yourself? You seem to be at a loss, so why not let us help you? We'll give you a clue. 
We entered the factory by the front gate. The typewriter we used is Pan Rider. The plastic container used was a piece of street garbage. End quote. The odd letters continued to mount, taunting both the media and police until as suddenly as it had all began, a letter was issued on June 26th simply stating, We forgive Glicko, without any indication of why the company had been forgiven or indeed what the reasons behind the whole affair were in the first place. However, this would only mark the end of the harassment of Glicko, not an end to the terror. The anonymous criminal syndicate, as police were becoming Ham and House Food Corporation, all major food companies in Japan. One letter ominously addressed to Moms of the Nation claimed that 21 packages of various Morinaga candies popular with children had been fatally poisoned with sodium cyanide, and a subsequent police investigation luckily managed to locate all 21 of the tainted products before anybody could consume them. All of the candies indeed contained enough poison to kill, exactly as had been promised, which showed the group had the means to carry out their threats. Interestingly, the packages of the poisoned candies were all helpfully labeled, Danger Contains Toxins. Because, you know, if you're going to murder people, you should at least tell them that they're going to ingest toxins, right? And that perhaps showed that the monster with 21 faces wanted to give potential victims a sporting chance to avoid death. The public scare stirred up by the incident was profound, and Morinaga suffered severe financial loss as a result. In the meantime, the monster with 21 faces had issued a statement saying they would cease their activities if they were paid a 5 million yen ransom. The money was to be dropped out of a speeding bullet train bound for the city of Kyoto on June 28th at a place specified along the way by a white flag. The money was actually gathered and sent on board the train with an undercover officer who hoped to at least get a glimpse of a suspect in the process. During the operation, the officer reported being shadowed and stared at by a mysterious man with short, permed hair and described as well-built with eyes like a fox, who would thus become known as the Fox-Eyed Man, and one of the prime suspects as a mastermind behind the operation. No white flag was ever seen along the route, and upon arrival at Kyoto Station, additional investigators began to follow the man and attempted to keep him under surveillance. But the mysterious figure managed to elude them, even though they were right on his trail. Police described the way he did it as almost like disappearing into thin air. Although threatening letters continued to come in, it seemed that the fox-eyed man, who had overnight become Japan's most wanted criminal, had vanished forever. But police would have another run-in with him in November of 1984. The terrorists had yet again demanded a ransom, this time 100 million yen, which was to be dropped by a cash delivery van into a can under a white piece of cloth at a rest stop along the Mishin Expressway in an area called Otsu. The operation was set up as a sting, with police from six prefectures, including Osaka, Kyoto, and Kobe, all coordinating their efforts to apprehend the criminals. Tailed by investigators, the van approached the designated drop-off point and found the white cloth, but there was no can to be seen. Police suspected that the monster with 21 faces was toying with them and testing their response, 
and therefore dropped the entire operation. However, an hour earlier, a patrol car from the local Shiga Prefectural Police Department, which was uninvolved with the secret sting operation, spotted a suspicious station wagon with its headlights off and engine running parked in the area near a white cloth. When the policeman had approached, he had caught a glimpse of none other than, you guessed it, the fox-eyed man, himself wearing a wireless receiver and headphones, before the mystery man sped off. This was probably the incident which had blown the lid off the whole sting operation. The car, later found to be stolen, would later be found abandoned at a railroad stop along with a radio transceiver with which the fox-eyed man had been listening in on police communications and a vacuum cleaner of all things. Yeah, okay, weird. In December, in the wake of the botched sting operation, the Monster with 21 Faces began expanding its harassment campaign and began threatening to poison the products of the popular cake and confectionery company, Fujiya. Still without any solid leads or any suspects apprehended, the frustrated police issued wanted posters featuring a composite drawing of the fox-eyed man, who they saw as instrumental in solving the case but no one came forward with any information. However, it was around this time that a potential break was found in this baffling case. Tokyo police apprehended a man named Miyazaki Manubu, a whistleblower who had exposed Glico's practice of dumping industrial waste into Osaka rivers in 1975. He had also been responsible for the resignation of a union leader over accounting irregularities pertaining to Glico. The reason Miyazaki had become a suspect was that police claimed that an audio tape made by Miyazaki at the time was very similarly worded to the mysterious letters from the monster with 21 faces. In addition, Miyazaki's father was a local Yakuza boss. Japanese mafia getting in there, and he also just happened to bear a resemblance to, you guessed it, the fox-eyed man. It seemed like an exciting development, and it was widely reported in the media that Miyazaki was the enigmatic fox-eyed man, but in the end, the suspect's alibis checked out and police were forced to release him. Miyazaki would waste no time in turning a profit on his experiences, going on to publish a book on the whole incident. The case had now become a media circus. Attracting much attention from both national and international news outlets, and had also captured the imagination of the Japanese people, as well as serving as sort of a wake-up call, marking a sort of turning point when this once peaceful and exceedingly safe society started to be seen as a more dangerous place prowled by vicious criminals. In the midst of, all of this media frenzy, which often called attention to the lack of effectiveness of police in handling the case, in August of 1985, after making absolutely no headway in solving the case, and with the fox-eyed man continuing to be seemingly a specter that could not be caught, Shiga Prefecture Police Superintendent Yamamoto spectacularly killed himself by setting himself on fire. Stop and think about that for a moment. I can understand being so dis despondent and so dis depressed that you can think about taking your life. But to set yourself on fire? Wow. It was a shocking development in such a typically nonviolent country, making for sensational news at the time. 
The news of the horrific suicide prompted a taunting letter from the monster with 21 faces, five days later, which read, and I quote, Yamamoto of Shiga Prefecture Police died. How stupid of him. We've got no friends or secret hiding place in Shiga. It's Yoshino or Shikata, police superintendents from other prefectures, who should have died. What have they been doing for as long as one year and five months? Don't let bad guys like us get away with it. There are many more fools who want to copy us. No career Yamamoto died like a man. So we decide to give our condolence. We decided to forget about torturing food-making companies. If anyone blackmails any of the food-making companies, it's not us, but someone copying us. We are bad guys. That means we've got more to do than bullying companies. It's fun to lead a bad man's life. Monster with 21 faces. End quote. I'm just going to say for a bad guy, not very good with the words. Just saying. I understand it's a translation, but seriously, not real scary. It would be the last letter to be received from the shadowy group, and they proceeded to sort of just vanish. Although it's unclear if they ever turned their sights to other forms of crime, as seems to be suggested in the final letter. Throughout the entire 17-month ordeal, not a single solid lead was uncovered. No one was ever arrested, and whoever the fox-eyed man was still walks the streets a free man, even despite the incredible amount of resources the police had poured into the investigation, involving over a million officers across the country who interviewed over 12,000 suspects. It was seen by many as demonstrating the glaring inefficiency of the Japanese police and led to many changes and overhauls to numerous departments across the country. Since the apparent cessation of activities of the monster with 21 faces, there have been many similar copycat crimes tormenting food companies, but most of these have been solved and none are thought to have been linked to the original crime syndicate. Although the statute of limitations ran out on the crime of, in June of 1995, the air of mystery surrounding the organization that had carried out the whole affair has gone on to spur a great deal of debate and conspiracy theories as to who the perpetrators could be. And it's a very popular topic of discussion for amateur sleuths around the country. Some think that the culprits were Japanese Yakuza groups such as the Yamaguchi Gumi and the Ichiwakai who were engaged in a mob war at around the time of the incidents. Others point to the activities of extreme left-wing and right-wing groups or to attempts by unscrupulous investors to instigate a stock windfall through negative publicity brought down onto the food corporations from the media coverage of the crimes, after which they could buy up the stocks and sell them for an enormous profit when they bounced back. Just, at the, just as they had arrived without a trace, the monster with 21 faces disappeared without a trace. However, police would spend the next several years looking for the group. With an estimated fifth of the entire police force mobilized, they were still unable to find any solid leads. At one point, police reve revealed a phone call that the group made while demanding ransom. It contained the voice of a woman and a child. Police opened a special hotline just so people could leave tips and hear the voices. However, nothing came from this. Without any leads or suspects, investigators looked at possible motives. 
There were many motives looked at, but since the monster with 21 faces did not seem to have a motive beyond wanting to cause mass panic, none of the motivations would be looked at for very long. A few of the motives police looked at were political, left-wing, right-wing, or even North Korea trying to destabilize the economy. However, none of these would prove to be worthwhile ideas. With that, the only viable motive appeared to be personal. Throughout the entire case, police named only one suspect publicly who was looked at in depth, Manabu Miyazaki, the son of a Yakuza boss who had a feud with Glico. Manabu matched both the description of the fox-eyed man and the man who was recorded putting the tainted Glico products on shelves. Before the events of the crime spree, Manabu was frequently at odds with Glico. He was in a labor dispute with them, and he consistently exposed Glico's illegal dumping activities. In the eyes of investigators, he was a perfect suspect. However, Manabu had an airtight alibi for the entire time that the police encountered the monster with 21 faces, eventually causing him to be dropped as a suspect. During these encounters, Manabu was in business meetings. The monster with 21 faces can no longer be charged for their crime due to the statute of limitations in Japan, but no individual from the group has ever come forward. It's unlikely that their crime spree will ever be understood or fully resolved. Beyond the suicide of the police superintendent, no one was killed, and it seems like the group just wanted to cause mass panic. No further information was revealed to the public, and the monster with 21 faces will forever be remembered as a group of mysterious individuals, both young and old, who targeted food companies for no apparent reason other than it looked like fun. Some of the more far-out theories thrown around is that the monster with 21 faces was comprised of North Korean secret agents trying to sabotage Japan's economy, or that it is some sort of nefarious, top-secret, Illuminati-like organization with inscrutable motives that is perhaps linked to various crimes and conspiracies throughout Japan, and perhaps even the world. Even after all this time, such is the mysterious allure of the monster with 21 faces that has been the basis for numerous movies and TV shows and has been the inspiration for various famous villains in Japanese pop culture, such as the laughing man in the popular anime series Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. The case has gone on to become one of the most famous unsolved crimes in Japanese history and the enigmatic group behind it, an almost mythical entity in Japan, akin to that of the shadowy villain Kaiser Soze in the film The Usual Suspects. Who were the monster with the 21 faces? What did they want? Why did they target the companies they did? Was this a simple extortion case for money, or was there something more to this? How many people were involved, and to what extent did the Cabal's criminal activities extend to? Are they still active somewhere in the world? In light of the fact that nothing was ever learned during the entire investigation, the organization remains as mysterious as ever, and we will likely never know the answer to these questions. They and the mysterious fox-eyed man will live on in the public imagination and in the media, remaining an elusive conundrum that will likely continue to stir up discussion for some time to come. And with that, my darlings, we have come to the end of our episode. 
I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think about today's story. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you just want to tell me what you think, you're bored and you need somebody to talk to, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you got it. Don't forget to tune in next time, my darlings. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. <laughs> this is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.